Well, is my mic on? Are we working, brother? We're good. Get your Bibles tonight. Open to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter number 1. Well, I don't know if there's any connection with the preacher's flat tire and my opportunity to preach, but I guess I'm just grateful to be a spare tire tonight. Uh, so uh, if that's the case, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak and I uh, hope we can give you something that will help you. John chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through verse number 5, but we'll end up spending all of our time basically in verse number one. Uh, if you found that, please stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter one, uh, beginning with verse number one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. These words written by the Apostle John starting his gospel are some of the most profound statements ever made about Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to look at these. We live in a time when preaching and teaching on doctrinal truths of the faith is not popular. Uh, but it is necessary. That kind of teaching and preaching has almost been abandoned and only gets an occasional honorable mention in a message or two. But tonight it's going to be a doctrinal type message. And I, I fear for Christendom. Uh, I fear for our Baptist churches because a, a lot of Baptist churches are going that route where doctrine is not emphasized. Uh, we see that as a result because of the strange views that people have about life, even in our churches, about the substituting of psychology and philosophy instead of solid, sound theology. We see it by people leaving our churches, going to cults, or following uh, just popular or modern-day trends and movements. All of this can go back to just not having a doctrinal basis. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know of any issues like that here, but we don't want them here, right? And, uh, and so we're going to cover that tonight. I know that some may not appreciate all the emphasis on doctrine tonight, uh, but it's going to be about the person of Christ, and uh, that is the most vital doctrine that we could ever fully understand, which I don't think that we can, but uh, the truths from God's Word are so important. Poor doctrinal knowledge always leads to very small views of Christ, and if you have a small view of Christ, you will have a small devotion to Him. But if we earnestly can consider who Christ is, 
who He is. It will increase our devotion to Him and it will inspire in us high and holy living. And that's what we need. If you get it wrong here, who Jesus Christ is, everything else is going to be wrong. So tonight, I just simply want to, as Luke said in the beginning of his gospel, I simply want tonight, I'm not going anywhere with the message, there's not some hook on the end. All I'm here to do is declare the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And as Luke said, I simply want to declare those things that are most surely believed among us. And let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the word of God. Thank you for your son. And who he is. And what you've done for us. May you make it real in our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. See, I brought my handkerchief tonight. The writers of the Gospels give us the story of Jesus' life on earth. Each of them from a different perspective. Matthew was writing primarily to the Jewish people, and he presented Jesus Christ as king who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. Mark wrote his gospel mainly to the Roman people, presented Jesus Christ as the servant of servants, who ministered to the needy people as he went through uh, the area and through his ministry. Luke wrote his gospel primarily to the Greek or Gentile people, Presenting Christ as the Son of Man, who is the only mediator between God and men. But John, he wrote his gospel for everyone, for the Jew and the Gentile alike. And he presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God, God in the flesh. We know this because he states his purpose not at the beginning of his gospel but at near the end almost in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. He says in many others, after he writes all that he wanted to write about Christ, he says in many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written and he said this, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. What a task. How could you write a letter to put anything in it to convince someone that Jesus is truly the Son of God? To set out to prove to someone that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is really an impossible task, humanly speaking. Because we cannot convince anyone of this truth. When Jesus asked his disciples, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some, they said, think that you're John the Baptist. Others believe that you are Elijah. And some uh, believe that you're Jeremiah or maybe one of the prophets. And then Christ turns to the disciples with a more pointed question. And, say, and he asked them, but whom say ye that I am? 
And boy, old Peter, we know, jumped right up. And he immediately said that famous statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately informed Peter that his answer was a revelation. Matthew 16, 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The human mind is too limited to comprehend such an infinite truth. So this truth is not a conclusion reached by logical arguments or by human reasoning. It is not a hidden truth that has to be discovered, but rather it is a divine truth that must be revealed by God. Paul agreed, Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer tonight, not that I can convince you <laughs> that Jesus is who He said He was and who He claimed to be, but that maybe we can get to the point of divine revelation tonight and God would reveal to you who Jesus Christ really is in a greater way than you know Him now. So that when you leave here tonight, you will know Him greater, love Him deeper, and seek Him more diligently. As we turn to our text tonight, John begins with a very clear declaration of who Jesus is. And he does not start off slowly going in. He walks to the deep end of the pool and jumps in. Because the depth of the statement he begins with is phenomenal. As I said before, these opening statements are the most profound words ever written regarding Jesus Christ. And there are four aspects that I want us to see tonight related to verse number one. I would love to go through all five verses, but, you know, we do have to go home, right, uh, at some point. So, the first aspect I want us to consider is the description for Christ in this verse. We notice the phrase, the Word, is repeated. Three times in this verse, Jesus Christ is described as the Word. No writer in the New Testament uses this distinction for Christ except the Apostle John. He uses the Word description seven times through his letters. He uses it here three. You skip down to verse number 14, it appears again. Uh, you can go to the book of 1 John where he describes Christ as the word of life. And in 1 John 5, 7, as the word being part of the three that bear record in heaven. And then in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, the returning Christ whose name is called the word of God. Even though the description is not used very much in Scripture, it is very appropriate and significant. Naturally, we would ask, why use the word to describe Jesus Christ and not just say Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. I don't know if I have the right answer or not, but I, 
have one hopefully that will make a little sense. Our words reveal our thoughts to others by speaking that thought. And if our thoughts are to be known, they must be revealed by words. That's how we communicate. So by calling Christ the Word of God, it simply means that Christ reveals and manifests the mind of God to man. I think this is confirmed in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. This description of Christ as the Word is very much related to statements Christ made in Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Since Alpha and Omega are the beginning and ending characters of the letters of the Greek alphabet, we see that all words are spoken, of course, in any language, in any tongue, uh, of the first letters between the first and the last characters of that language. John 1.18 states the same truth to us there, but just in a little different way. He says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Interesting wording. Because of this description of Christ, the Word, we often refer to Him as the living Word. In contrast to the written Word, the Scriptures that we hold. Both do the very same thing. They reveal the mind of God to mankind. So that's the distinction here. Uh, that the Word has. It is John's way of conveying Jesus Christ. So we see the description for Christ. I want us to notice the duration of Christ. Now you're going to have to listen and pay attention. I can't make it any shallower than what it is in Scripture. So you have to pay attention. The first statement here in John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. This very first statement tells us of the eternal existence of Jesus Christ, that His duration is forever. Christ's eternal existence is emphasized and seen clearly in two ways in this statement. First of all, the beginning here in our text refers to when creation came into existence, not when Christ came into existence. Because He did not come into existence. He has always been. In the beginning, here is the same in the beginning as Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Here in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. There is a little distinction between these in beginnings. In Genesis 1.1, it starts in the beginning and follows with what happens after the beginning, God created. But in John 1.1, it starts at the same place in the beginning, but follows that with what happened before the beginning. Jesus Christ was. In the beginning was the Word. The eternal existence of Christ can be seen in the fact that uh, already... Uh, I'm sorry, it can be seen in the fact that Christ already existed when this beginning occurred. To already be in existence in the beginning means that Christ's existence is not limited to time. He is eternal. 
In the beginning is the earliest possible point of our measured time. Time as we know it began with the creation of the universe. Our finite minds have a great difficulty comprehending eternity, past or present, because all we can think of is in terms of time. In the beginning cannot be speaking of eternity because eternity cannot be measured in terms of time. Time is only a small segment of eternity, but eternity has no beginning and no ending. Christ did not begin when time began in the beginning because He is eternal. He already was. Don't ask me to repeat any of that. The second way that we see His eternal existence in this statement is by taking note of the verb was in this statement. In the beginning was the word. This verb notes continued action in past time. In context, it simply means that Christ existed continuously before the beginning occurred. There never was a beginning for Christ. He always existed. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17, He is before all things. In Micah 5.2 it says, His goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Daniel 7 and 13 say that He is the Ancient of Days. Christ did not become the Son in the beginning because He already was. Christ did not become the Son when He was born into the world in Bethlehem. 1 John 4.14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He was already the Son, and the Father sent Him to Bethlehem. We should view Christ as the one who existed eternally and who simply began to be manifested in the in the flesh when he was born of Mary in Bethlehem. And for us to deny the eternal existence of Christ is to boldly deny the, the truth of Scripture itself. To make it as simple as I possibly can, I quote another preacher that I heard who said it this way, When everything that ever had a beginning began to be, the Word already was. Jesus Christ was in the beginning. The second statement that is given there, and the Word was with God. This is the dwelling of Christ. The dwelling of the Word with God was a very intimate relationship. It was very close. It was very blessed. The key word showing that this is so is the preposition with. It denotes more than just merely being near or being beside, but it was a living union and communion that God the Father and God the Son shared. John's statement here is that the divine word not only abode with the Father from all eternity, but was in a living, active relation or communion with Him. The meaning is that the Word existed in the closest possible fellowship with the Father. From all eternity, 
there was a most intimate union that is indescribable by our words today in blessedness and sacredness between Christ the Word and God the Father. Scripture bears this out. John 14, 10 and 11. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Jesus spoke, John 10, 30, and said, I and my Father are one. John 1, 18 says, The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. I don't think we fully comprehend that relationship that God the Son and God the Father have. We may can see a little bit of it in Christ's prayer in John 17 in verse 5 when He spoke of the glory that He had with God before the world was. And I can't help but think of Hebrews looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was looking past the cross to being reunited with the Father. All of these speak of the very deep and intimate relationship that they share. The relationship of Christ with God. The Word was with God is also a very strong statement and confirmation of the fact that Christ the Son of God is a distinct individual from God the Father. This is an important reference here to what we term as the Trinity, the great three in one. One God, but three distinct persons. Now, no one can fully understand it or explain it, but Scripture clearly teaches it, and we believe it. 1 John 5, 7, a verse I mentioned earlier is containing the Word. He says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. As we begin to just even consider it in our own minds and understand this relationship of Christ the Son with God the Father, being so very close, being so very intimate, and blessed, we begin to see what a great sacrifice it was for him to leave heaven, take upon himself the form of a man, die upon the cross to provide salvation for you and I. Christ gave up this blessed situation with God in order to fulfill salvation's plan. And if Christ would sacrifice so much for us, how greatly this should inspire us to sacrifice for Him. The Word was with God. But we know Him as Emmanuel. God, not with the Father, God with us. And to think that he would break up that divine union. And come down here to sinful earth. 
as John describes in verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt not in the heavens with the Father, but dwelt with us. The eternal God, the eternal God came to be our Savior. The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Wow. And third statement there, the word was God. This sentence states the very important truth that Jesus Christ is indeed God. It is this truth of the deity of Jesus Christ that all of Christianity stands on. No other statement in scripture makes it any plainer that Jesus is God. The first statement in the beginning was the word, implies it by teaching his eternal existence. The second statement, and the word was with God, infers it by teaching that he is part of the Trinity. But this statement emphatically insists upon it that Jesus Christ is God. This truth is made so plain that anyone who has not seen it yet cannot deny it honestly. And yet, in spite of the plain declaration, many refuse to accept that truth, and it will be to their own peril. What perversity it is to read the words of this holy text and still maintain that Jesus Christ was only a man or just an influential teacher. Repeatedly, the Bible teaches the truth that Jesus is God, Isaiah 7:14 prophesied his name to be Emmanuel, which we've already mentioned. And we learned in Matthew 1:23 means God with us. Christ claimed this deity unashamedly and without hesitation multiple times. In John 8:58, Jesus said unto them, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am." Now that may not mean much to you and I, but to the Jews he was speaking to at the time, they understood it to mean a claim of deity, for they tried to kill him following that statement. Christ said, I and my Father are one in John 10, 30, which I've already mentioned. And following that in verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and he, he uh, corners them and, and questions them, why, for what good works is it that you stone me for? And the Jews answered, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says, Who, being in the form of God, speaking of Christ, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Paul also claimed in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh when speaking of Christ. The truth of Christ's deity 
is more than adequately declared throughout the Scripture. <laughs> My goodness. He declares the eternal God in verse 1 and in verse 2. In verse 3, He describes Him as the Creator, which Brother Nate covered this morning. In verse 5 and 6, we see, or verse 4 and 5, I'm sorry, He is shown to be the Redeemer. And John wades off into these, these deep truths, these divine revelations that He has been given to share with everyone else of who Jesus Christ really is. Wow, what a statement. What an introduction. The truth of Christ's deity. The Word that eternally existed. The Word that dwelled with God. The Word that was God. Left the glories and blessedness of His Father in heaven. Humbled Himself. Took upon Him the form of a man. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is the Word of life. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man can come to God but by Him. He is not just a man. He is not just a teacher. He is not just an important character in history. He is the eternal God. He is equal with God. And He is forever, eternity past, eternity future, he has always existed and He always will exist. And He broke up a divine union and took upon that flesh and came to earth to be the Savior that we needed because no man can save himself from his sin. And if you and I are going to make it to heaven, we are going to make it by way of the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed for us on Calvary. And we better know that Jesus is not just a man and a teacher. He is divine. He is the eternal God who came to be our Savior. And that's it, folks. That's a lot of deep water we just waded through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord... As these truths settle in our hearts, we cannot comprehend. We, along with the psalmist, would say, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou tastest him? Lord, I just pray you'd burn it deep in our heart. It is my desire that you would reveal yourself to us like you've never been revealed before. Lord, help us to see what it is you did for us. 
by leaving heaven, by coming to earth, by being our Savior, the sacrifices you made. And yet, what do we do in return? Lord, there may be some here who are questioning who you are. And I pray you'd burn the truth of your word in their hearts tonight. Convict them of their sin. Help them to turn to you as their Savior. Lord, you are the only one who can save us from our sin. And Lord, we thank you for providing salvation. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, everyone stand.